If you can't get enough of the Mixing Music Podcast and want three times the amount of episodes every week, subscribe to our exclusive content for only $4 a month or $40 a year at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. One, two, three. Hello, and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, the lovely co-host, Lou Jr. Moreno. Are you... Are you? A st- I am not a junior. <laughs> I don't know where this junior came from. Uh, my dad's name was Jesus and Dionisio. So uh, no junior. That, no, that's just the just the nickname. Just Jesus today. and the God of Wine. Just that's all it is. <laughs> the gotcha. God of Wine. Yeah, Dionisio. Dionisio. You know? Oh my gosh, Dionysus. All right, what is it? I forgot Dionysus, what it is in English. Dionysus in English. Either that's way, crazy. he really likes wine. Does he really? Not my dad, but you know. Oh. <laughs> I you talking about your dad. All right. Well, welcome to the Mixing Music Podcast. Uh, if you couldn't tell, if you're watching on YouTube, we're lounging on chairs. Um, and if you're not watching on YouTube, you could come check us out uh, at youtube.com backslash DK Mixes, D E K E I Mixes. And where we. Then post you will a- find us lounging on chairs. And uh, I also am really, really bad at consistently uploading the episodes on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, so it is our least popular platform, but <laughs> you know I'd argue that a lot of people find us on there too, though. That's true. That's I've true. Had two uh, potential clients call from there. One of them said, "Hey, I saw the episode talking about acoustic treatment, and I wanted to get some advice." And I got another one that was talking about uh, what was it mix with emotion. Mm. You know, that's a good one. That is a good episode, actually. I really like that one. Yeah, because you should mix with the motion. So, first off, uh, other than the room being different, because we do have a client in the A room right now, and this is our B room. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. This is kind of where I spend my time in. Oh, and yeah. uh, guess what? what? We finally did it. Loudon pulled through. We'd like to yeah. thank one of our sponsors, Loudon Audio. <laughs> we have the Loudon LS two hundred eights for. Don't the they sound vocal. amazing? Oh my gosh. These are condenser microphones, front-facing condenser microphones oh, yeah. with huge rejection for podcasts, voiceovers, regular vocals. Or Try them on a snare. Oh, drums and snares. Ooh. I bet it's good. Oh my God, yeah. And, and they come with the shock mount, and it's a full metal body shock mount. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's not a cheapo shock mount, which uh-uh. is really nice. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to fall apart like the, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not even going to say it, but either way, all of you know, there there are certain shock mounts out there that for some reason the rubber bands just go surprisingly quick. Yes. Yes. And uh, let's talk about today's episode. So other than Loudon shouting us out, you know, giving it, we're shouting them out mm-hmm. and talking about the LS-208s that you can purchase, um, you can hit us up. We can help you out find the best deal. Yeah. Hit us up on the DMs and Instagram or Lou at in the mix studios.com. Mm-hmm. 
if you want to hit us up. L-U, not L-O-U. You might get a bounce back. L-U at inthemixstudios.com. Anyway, uh, today's episode, we want to talk about a request requested topic from a fan of ours. Um, the, the topic is masking frequencies, which is kind of pretty specific, mm-hmm. but I think it's interesting to talk about because then we could talk about two things especially, which is what are masking he- frequencies and how do we kind of like figure what those are? figure out what those are and how do we unmask frequencies? Okay. So, um, first question is Lou, how often are masking frequencies or like, um, a lot of frequencies in a certain, a lot of the same frequency in a certain mix. How often do you find that uh, across mixes from different people? It's actually pretty common, um, especially when you're doing live instrument recording. Like if you're working with a band or let's say that you have an, uh, an R&B group, a soul group, where they incorporated live bass, live drums, maybe some live guitars, along with samples and other things, um, you tend to have a lot of overlapping frequencies, especially between like 400 hertz and I want to say about 2,000 hertz. As Let's be honest, that's actually where the majority of human hearing lies. Now, the biggest issue there is finding clarity in those ranges. Because there's so much going on, it's really hard to get one or the other thing to cut through at a certain point because it's almost the entire body of certain instruments. Yeah, absolutely. So I find the same sort of thing to be a common problem. Uh, What kind of things do you find lead to that problem? Like, for example, I think that one of the things is people aren't referencing. Um, I think sometimes it's monitoring when there's like dead spots in the room or in the listening position where people just don't hear 200 Hertz, Mm -hmm. uh, or whatever it is. Right. Um, what are some reasons why people are masking frequencies? So I always like to, and I guess I'm going to come at this with more of a reference behind, uh, uh, live recording because I've worked with bands for so much more time than I did with vocalists before I got into the hip hop R&B scene and a big thing is walk in the room and listen to the instrument because a lot of times if people don't have a lot of experience with live instruments they tend to just throw a mic wherever they think is a good spot and then hit record Yeah, they don't actually play around with it and the funny thing is um, miking is a big part of this. If you put a mic on a snare, and me and you have talked about this, you really like the SM81 trick that you have. Um, I like putting 609s on a chain versus a 57 like many people do. Um, but it's always because it accentuates certain information to get it to sound more real, more like what you hear in the room, what we hear with the human ears. Or whatever the, the goal is. Sometimes exactly. Sometimes want you want to sound, sound like trash. Yeah, like, oh my God, Sylvia Massey. Oh. Oh, my God. She's amazing. I, I would love to work with her any day. Um, had I met her in our mutual youths, I would definitely ask her out. Sorry, babe, but you know this. <laughs> Either way, point is, she's such an amazing engineer and doing so many unique things that you're right. Sometimes that isn't really the goal, but listening and having a goal in mind will help you capture what it is you're looking to capture. But if you're just throwing a mic around, you're going to get a blur of frequencies and you don't really have control over that because you chose to opt out of the control. Yeah. Now, that is what I've seen be the number one thing. The second thing is, like you said, monitoring. Um, if you're just going to throw a mic on a guitar cab to add some live guitars to your production, if you throw it at the edge of the cone, you're going to get a lot of uh, low-end pickup. Uh, while if you put it dead center, it's going to give you a lot of that like 2, 3K boost, 5K boost 
because you're literally dead center in the cone. That's just how a cone uh, works on a guitar cab. But if you were to pull the microphone back, you'd get a little less low end. If you angle it a little bit, you can actually split the difference between different frequency points that are being accentuated. I think, honestly, if you're not monitoring before you capture, you don't really know what you're going to capture until you hit record. And, and, at and that it's point, hard it's, to do that. At that point, it's hard to do that without an assistant who you can yell at, be like, yo, bring it back a little or, further, a little bit closer to turn. Or have you seen those machines that's yeah, like remote controlled? Yeah, that one is crazy. I considered it once, but the the hard part about it was this. Um, though that is very useful, they're very expensive. They're almost $500 for a single stand, which is a little way out of my price budget. A little, even me, I yes, I have some nice mics, but that 500 bucks is still for painful. For a stand. For a stand um, that I'm not going to use every day, every moment. Now, if you're a professional guitarist who does uh, session gigs from home and everything, and you just don't have time to be going back and forth on your own, it's totally worth it. But unfortunately, my guitar playing is nowhere near as good to be a session guitarist. <laughs> or, and we don't honest. use recorded guitar as much in the studio, as yeah, we, at least I, as much as we used to. Because I know we both kind of yeah. did rock more often. Yeah, before. exactly. So because of that, um, I'd say the, the classic trick is put on a, your favorite pair of uh, headphones, go mic it yourself, and move the mic around while you're listening to the record playback. And try to find a spot that actually gets it to fit perfectly in the mix. Now, it's always hard. Some people are more used to hearing their speakers than they are in their headphones. But to be honest, that's going to give you a better chance than just throwing the mic and running yeah. back and forth blindly. And the, and the reason why Lou is bringing this up is because... Um, I do want to be clear, masking frequencies. So you you can have different tones and different spectral frequencies, right? Like a guitar tone will have more 5K if you get it more towards whatever, right? Yeah. This part of the cone, if you get it this far away. And then that's one way. So you can EQ it. You can use micing position. With the mic. But the point of masking frequencies, so what that is, is that means um, if you look at the spectral frequency balance of of a mix, then there's just a lot of overloading in a specific frequency or area mm -hmm. that isn't, that's, and that's okay sometimes, but what's, what's really causing the massing frequency problem that we're talking about is that things start to get hidden because of it. Yeah. Things are kind of overshadowing. For example, um, oftentimes I hear in a mix that the vocals are definitely loud enough, but there's some frequencies that's playing with the piano Mm -hmm. specifically with, you know, the like the Mellotron hertz. or like whatever vintage keyboard that they have is is clashing so much with the vocals that even though the vocals are loud enough the vocals still seem to be buried. Yeah. And and so that's what we're talking about here. So with with Lou's techniques about like uh miking up a guitar cab, it's all about like um intentionally picking which frequencies that you're thinking about which frequencies you want to cover and which frequencies you want to use. Um, when I'm mixing down a song from scratch, uh, I, I know most, a lot of people, not most, I would say a lot of people, maybe most, I don't know, but a lot of people start with the vocals. Yeah. And um, I'm at a point where I actually do bass and drums first, right? And I don't, yeah. I do the vocals last, but when I'm mixing the entire beat or the band first, I'm mixing with the vocals in mind. So when I'm carving, I'm carving space for where I know the vocal's going to be. Because mm -hmm. I've listened to the demo or whatever, and I kind of just, I don't know. Th this is one of those gifted things. I don't know how I do it. It's just natural instinct. Um, but I think that that, and I, sometimes I don't always get it right. So I no. might have to go back and re-EQ some things just to make sure the vocal sits in there properly. Um, 
but I do see even with it, without a vocal, just within the instrumental, there's often times that things are clashing. Uh, the bottom end of the snare drum and the acoustic guitar. Yeah, you know, um, just things are kind of getting in the way, so you can't tell which instrument is what. Uh, and a lot of it is, like you said, if you're recording or producing, is mic choice, mic selection. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it's all part of the frequency manipulation, right? Yep. So it's like choosing a mic and figuring out where to place it is a smoother, easier way, but the same idea as an EQ. Yep. You're like manipulating the frequencies. Yep. But with an EQ, you're actually like technically distorting the signal. You're yeah. manipulating the signal where as far as like, if you move it around, that's better. Which, to be clear, people, I know distorting we usually associate that to like distortion but distorting by definition just means altering anything from its original form yeah so uh realistically what i really like that you mentioned is like sometimes we choose our tools to get a certain goal out of it right like we'll mix uh sometimes drum and bass first i know definitely i'll do like synths and pads and i'll try to carve space for the vocals Mm. because i'll listen to the vocal first those always get in the way like anything low mids exactly and because of that i'm always trying to listen in and say okay great this is what i'm hearing being the issue but um i tend to mute the vocals so i can hear in detail exactly what i'm moving out of the way because i now know where i need it to sit but uh, just like you, I try to be coming from a band, being a guitarist myself, I tend to be music first anyways. Um, but my goal, just like you as always, is getting the vocal to be crystal clear. But because of that, I just want to make sure that whatever I'm capturing is the right thing. Absolutely. So I think one of the ways that you can figure this out is I, I do want to, a technique that you can use to help you uncover masking frequencies is, and I, I want to preface this with this thought, um, Really mixing for mono compatibility <laughs> is kind of like a dead thing. Um, there's really no purpose for it. People can debate clubs and people can debate AM radio or even phones are now stereo. So, and uh, so I, I would say don't, this is, this advice is not for that, but I would say if you mix in mono, the reason why it's good is actually because nothing when nothing is panned and everything is centered because you can hide masking frequencies by panning one the one way and the other the other way and you can't tell but if you make a mono then all of a sudden you can't hide masking frequencies with panning oh yeah so and then it'll sound and even more too. clear yeah. exactly in phase and with yeah, yeah so it's like so I do think that um, if you're if you think you're having trouble with a bunch of masking frequencies, you're not trying to you can't f- quite figure it out yet. Try to mix in mono. I think that's why I have the mix cube as well to figure out what's kind of mask masking each other. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out! There's a there is a podcast listener, I believe out in Europe. Um, oh, I saw that. Yeah, uh, that bought yeah. the mix cube. Thank you for listening to the show. A mono cube too. Yeah, and all of this, uh, some of the equipment that we've been talking about. Uh, is on the website, mixingmusicpodcast.com, mm-hmm. under the sponsors list and the equipment recommendation. Um, but that's one of the ways to do it. Mm-hmm. What do you? What are some ways that you either find or fix masking frequencies? So, because um, masking can also come down a phase too, but that's all. That's a whole. Oh, other, that's a whole thing. That's yeah. a whole other. Topic, that's a fa- you know? phasing is a whole other episode. Yeah, exactly. But um, mono. Is definitely a big one. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but sometimes when I'm doing my mastering, I'll master in mono. 
uh, because I want to know where the issues kind of land naturally because not every time is the mixer actually checking their mix in mono, which is fine. It is what it is. And like you said, not everything is in mono anymore. And usually when I find something that is in mono, I'm kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, look at that. I wonder how it sounds. Hmm. You know, but um, a lot of times, especially in mastering, you can actually pinpoint where there's issues in the mix. And that way I can send back notes like, hey, could you correct this in the in the pad? It seems like it's really consuming a lot of the frequency range where the vocal is. Um, but when I'm mixing, uh, what I like to do is... Um, I think it's, uh, what is it called? Um, adapters, uh, metric AB. Oh, for, uh, yeah, where you can actually see frequency content, but they actually have a spectral map on it too. So let's say that you're actually trying to figure out, uh, what's fighting with it. And if it's more like something that's dead centered or if it's off to the sides or where it's at, um, if you start playing certain instruments together, you'll start noticing where like certain information is being lost, then add the vocals to it. Right. But as you pan them, this is once again one of those phasing things. Like you notice that it sounds a little bit fatter if uh, an instrument is pulled to the left. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, if you just were to use that oscilloscope or whatever it is uh, to pull it to the side and everything while you're actually checking it, you'll notice that there's some kind of separation of that frequency too because it's no longer trying to match it in the middle with the vocal. So I know some people say always hard pan, some people say always do variable pan. Um, I'm more of a hard pan kind of guy yeah. because of this. But um, once you start playing with where it is in the mix, you'll notice that some of those clashing frequencies get pulled away from it. Yeah. You can actually just separate those frequencies from where they're clashing just by creating space. And mid-side mixing is a big thing for that for me. Because well, half hence the time, mid-side sound. Exactly. That's actually the big part of my company name. Yeah. Um, but but I, uh, yeah, so mid-side mixing, like uh, <laughs> using like the BX Digital, um, it'll actually ah. allow you to listen in to the frequency as you're sweeping around. If you put auto listen on, um, you can do that for the bandwidth as well. You can listen to how much of the band is actually capturing or negating. Um, and then they actually have a dynamic EQ single band kind of thing built in as well. So if you need something to actually kick out of the way for the vocal, um, doing a lot of like mid side, uh, side chaining, is actually really useful. And you can do that in Pro-Q3 as well. Yeah, that's but, what I do, is like you can split the mid and the side and the EQ exactly. and just EQ out the side. Sometimes, and then it's not always. And then apply the side chain to that. Yeah, it's not always, but there's like always tricks that you can use, like EQing out the side yeah. or clear it out, whatever it is, right? But mid-side is so useful for that. So I, I'd say if I mean, you're not trying to always. Combat, I don't, I don't not think always, it's like, I don't always. think it's like a, like you have to use mid-side, but I think that no, no, no. there's going to be useful. very intentional times where that's definitely going to be the better answer. Let's say you have like a Rhodes that you don't necessarily want hard panned. Um, and because there's a lot of that like low mid, but mm -hmm. also upper mid, but there's not like that center mid going on necessarily. There's no like heavy, heavy 900 in it. You can just you know EQ I mean? the mid channel. Exactly. You can EQ the mid channel out, uh, out a little bit, but let's say it starts getting a little too thin. And they're like, you know what? I still need it to be out of the way of the vocal a little more. You can use the the sidechain dynamic frequency, um, a, a, whatever it's a dynamic EQ, but on the mid only. Don't do it to the sides. That way, on the sides, it still sounds like the the roads are still there in place. But when the vocal comes in, it takes over that mm. mid frequency. Um, yeah. But it's it's there's always a way. But I really like using uh, the BX Digital Three. 
and uh, Pro Q3 for those kind of like checking where it is. Actually, Pro Q3's analyzer is a really good tool for that. Yeah, so I was going to talk about that. So Pro, uh, FabFilter Pro Q3 has an analyzer, and yeah. I think a few other plugin companies do this as well. Um, actually, Neutron does something really cool. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Um, so FabFilter, if you pull up, if you have two instances, let's say one on the instrumental across the entire instrumental bus, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then if you decide to mix that way and you have one on the all vocals bus. You can actually see, it'll show you on the frequency spectrum, like red bars up and down the frequency spectrum where it shows that there's the most clashing. So you can actually uh, like dip that area and whatever and boost it in the other or whatever. Neutron, first off, uh, thank you for sponsoring the show. We, we do want a quick shout out for our, ma- our sponsor, Isotope, right now. Oh, yeah. Isotope... Um, is amazing, has a wide variety of plugins, and I'm about to talk about one right now. But if you would like 10% off discount for Isotope products, uh, you can visit isotope.com backslash mmpodcast and use the code mmpod10 for 10% off your next order, not including Spire or monthly subscription bundles. Um, but yeah, that's isotope.com backslash mmpodcast. Uh, but anyway, uh, thank you so much for sponsoring Isotope. But Isotope has... Neutron, which is part of one of the plugins that you can buy. And in Neutron, they actually have a frequency analyzer like that if mm-hmm. you have multiple instances, just like the Fab Filter. But the one thing that's different is that you can link it. So if you, if you link two, sp- like let's say if I link the beat bus and the vocal bus, mm-hmm. and I see the, however they indicate the masking frequencies, I can dip the frequency in Neutron and it'll automatically boost in that f- same frequency. Really? Yeah. So it'll like link it. So it'll like invert the signal. So it won't just you won't just see the masking frequencies, but you can actually like do the opposite: cut in the vocal, boost in the the beat, cut in the beat, boost in the vocal. And so it like automatically, and you it doesn't take a lot. Like it takes no. like one to two dBs to like unmask it because you're doing twice as much. Yeah. It's wild. It's hmm. actually really nice. I gotta check this out. I really do. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, so I've used that every once in a while. It's really clever. It's really cool. And uh, one of the good reasons to get Neutron. Um, I don't know if FabFilter does that. I don't think it does. No, it does not. And, um, At least to the best of my knowledge, it doesn't. Yeah, and I may be wrong, um, but Neutron does a really good job with that, and it sounds really great. Um, and I used to, and I still use that sometimes as a trick, but I used to use that a lot. Um, and I do highly recommend it. If you're, if you're having a hard time hearing masking frequencies and uncovering, um, using the Neutron tool, linking the two channels or how many ever channels and uh, kind of doing the opposite sweeps together. Um, you'll find that it will carve a lot of space between the two elements that you're mixing with against. So um, other than that, uh, I think we're wrapping it up the show, yep. wrapping up the episode. I think we covered a lot of everything. We talked about mixing in mono, frequency analyzers, using um, uh, reference tracks. Um, we talked about Monitoring uh, before you actually commit. Yeah, there you go. Using non-distortion techniques to manipulate mm-hmm. frequencies. Uh, that I think we talked a little bit about how masking is inevitable to a certain degree. Like you can't yeah. just high pass, low pass everything. If you got three guitars in the same track, I mean, come on. Yeah, but I think that there's still ways that you can make each one poke out, but yeah. they don't have to be like perfectly huge. Uh, so no, I would just say just like, and I do think at the end of the day, sometimes panning does help. And I think it that definitely it definitely does. I don't think it's a good way to like rely on it, but I think it does no. help. 
but yeah, we talked a lot of, about a lot of things today. So thank you for listening. If you're interested in more content, hit the subscribe button. If you're on YouTube, it's hit somewhere. the like button. Uh, commenting helps a lot with the algorithm. So if you'd like to support our channel, comment and subscribe, like the video. That really does help a lot. Um, if you're listening on podca- podcasts, rate five stars. So oh, I put us on the playlist. Title just added podcasts now too. There you go. There you go. We're on title. You can listen to our voices in HD, even though I upload them as MP3s. Yay! <laughs> High quality MP3s. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But uh, <laughs> yeah. On that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. One, two, three. If you'd like to take advantage of my free guides and online videos, please check out links.dkmixes.com. That's links.dekeimixes.com. Are you tired of using Google Drive or Dropbox to send files to clients? Well, never get burned again with FilePass. I love and use FilePass exclusively for sending files to my clients. It's a cloud file sharing website specifically made by engineers for engineers. It's absolutely amazing. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash FilePass to check out the full feature list and subscribe today. Never lose another dime to burned projects. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show.